message this morning. The changing of the season is a big thing to me. I like, I like change of season. You know, it's finally spring. I heard so many people complain in the last two weeks about the seasons. Again, social media is replete with, you know, graphics of people sitting on their front lawn in snow and praying, you know, I'm going to act by faith in the change of season this year. And, uh, you know, it was a beautiful thing. It's, it's good to see that there's a change of season. I know I was excited as I came right up here to the church and I walked, if you look on your right hand side as you're walking up, you see the Flowers starting to sprout up right there. I'm um, even caught some daffodils. I believe that's what they're called. I don't know my flowers very well, but I think it's daffodils that were growing out of the porch. Okay, so I uh, started to notice that. And that's a praiseworthy thing. You know, I'm, I'm glad to see that. Um, I love nice weather. I love seeing flowers. I love being able to say uh, it's a change of season, so I'm allowed to wear a pair of jeans to church on Sunday morning. If you wanted to know why I was wearing jeans, just wanted to kind of make a funny play on the change of the season there. Did anybody do anything this week that uh, was worthy of spring? Welcoming in a new season? Any hikes, any eating outside? I know I had enjoyed lunch with Raven outside yesterday. That's something we weren't doing three weeks ago. Um, it was a little chilly. I went to a, a rally outside, um, actually uh, yesterday, and they had a big rally for addiction outside. Um, I know Ed's been talking about hiking, so obviously that's, that's on the agenda for the spring. A lot of stuff. You know, Terry and Wayne are camping at uh, Smith's Point. It's surely something they weren't doing four weeks ago, right? Um, so again, a beautiful season, yeah, even two weeks ago, even last week, right? Last week was rather chilly. So again, beautiful season. Now, I don't know about you. There's a reason for me bringing this up. Um, I don't know about you, but when we get into a new season, for me, it means cleanup. That's the first thing that unfortunately a new season always means, especially spring, right? Spring cleanup. So I want to share a personal antidote in regards to spring cleaning. I notice in my cleaning, and maybe you're with me, um, in my cleaning, a lot of times I notice as I'm cleaning, that things that were very important somehow ended, ended up covered up by junk throughout the year, right? So you figure we started January, you probably had a bunch of things you wanted to get done. By the time you find yourself at April, for me, it's a lot of paperwork. You would imagine I have papers, the things that I said I was going to make very important. And then all of a sudden, I look in my office as I start to do spring cleaning, and they are covered. I'm like, man, they just got covered with everything. So for me, spring cleaning means unearthing the important things. Getting back to the things that at January I had said, these are very important. Because again, our church is, you know, I, I thank God for the, the structure of this church. That the way that it's been set up is that we do that semi, that annual meeting in the beginning of the year, which allows me to kind of, you know, get my thoughts together. What are we doing for 2018? But then, of course, I lament by the time we get to April and I'm looking at the beautiful weather and I'm saying, wait a minute. I got to start cleaning up because everything got covered. All the important stuff, things that should not have been covered up things that were not supposed to get covered up that I told myself I'm not going to lose focus this year. That's not going to have to get resorted by the time we get to April. So let's translate that into life. You ever feel that in your life you set goals? Maybe you said at the beginning of 2018, this is the way I'm going to go about living out 2018. And then you find yourself here four months in saying, how did I miss that? How did I miss that goal of what I said in January was going to be important? Now all of a sudden it got covered up with all the junk of life. Maybe you're fine. you say, I'm not going to live 2018 stressed out. And then all of a sudden you watch people all the way in, right here four months in. It's like, wow, I thought you said you weren't going to be stressed out. Right? And you just think, again, for you, what, 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 might, what might it have been that you were thinking about at the beginning of the year that maybe you've missed? And this is a good time for you to think about that, right? Start to do the spring cleaning spiritually. Think through spring cleaning in your life. Even worse, it seems more important things are almost prone to getting covered up. That's... In my, at least in my life, I'll speak for myself. A lot of times, the, you know, I say, um, this year I'm going to slow down in my preaching. Right? 
find myself in uh, last month, March, and I say, why am I going so fast through the Bible? Relax. So for me, that was a good spiritual cleanup, a spring cleanup, right? To say, okay, I said in the beginning of the year it was important to slow down and think through the text. Why am I rushing? So it's safe to say I did my spring cleaning a little bit before spring. I'm ready for the spring. We think about this in our culture. There's a lot of common emphasis on staying the course, right? Okay, stay, keep the important things first, right? Uh, stay the course, keep focused, set your priorities. I feel like a lot of conversations I have with people are about proper prioritizing. It seems to be a problem in our world is that we fail to prioritize appropriately. So we find ourselves gathered the first day of the week as we have gathered for the past 2,000 years as the Christian church. What I would like to do is focus us in on the church. How does this apply to us as a church? Again, I mentioned the annual meeting in January. And for the last five years of my service here at this church, you know it's been five years? Five years, actually, as of April. And uh, five years of my service here, I've brought at least three different mottos, so to speak, or slogans that we can move forward with as a church. And I'm going to bring them before you. The first one, you remember when I first got here, we had get a life. Get a life and visit Blue Point Bible Church. And that was based on John 10.10. Jesus says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I come that you may have life and have it to the full. So I happen to believe that one of the priorities of the Christian church is to offer the life that Jesus Christ offered to us. Right? We recognize the thief. We recognize he who gives life. And this is where you find him, at the church. Get a life, visit Blue Point Bible Church. Worked. The second one, which actually, if you look at our business cards as of now, you look at the top, it says, Blue Point Bible Church, making known the manifold wisdom of God. Ephesians 3.10. The church, it has been given. Actually, what Ephesians 3, a beautiful passage, it highlights that everything that was done from times past, everything you read from Genesis, dare I say, up to the book of Ephesians, was done to create the church. The church, which had been hidden in ages past, but now was given in that first century up till now to make known the manifold wisdom of God. So that's the church. That's the purpose. We exist to make known the manifold wisdom of God. Because as we alluded to this morning in that Peter, Second Peter text, we believe the knowledge of God is that which heals this world, that which gives life to this world, and obviously to each and every one of us. And then the third one. The third one is the more recent one that you've seen on the signs. Well, not out there anymore. But uh, the sign that was out front and a lot of times on the bulletins is hashtag a thinking faith. Now the hashtag. I had to think of some funny things to say about this hashtag. First thing is a hashtag, what it really means is it's just a sharing thing. You know, on social media, you put a hashtag and you put whatever, like uh, yesterday I went to the War on Addiction rally. So I would put hashtag War on Addiction 2018. And then anybody that clicks on that hashtag, it'll bring up everybody's photos that use that hashtag. So it's a great way of sharing different things. Like if I put hashtag Blue Point Bible Church, and then you go to Google and you put in that hashtag, that pound sign. I also realize it's called a pound sign. Um, a pound sign, um, you put that there, and all of a sudden, all the material that somebody shared on that topic will pop up. So Blue Point Bible Church on like Instagram, I have a hashtag for Blue Point Bible Church. If you clicked on it, it'll bring you back about five years of different things that I've been putting the hashtag Blue Point Bible Church under. So now if you do that with a thinking faith, mostly it's our church because that's our thing, a thinking faith. So, of course, this is based on 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21. Another funny thing I wanted to say about the hashtag is uh, it's kind of like the pound sign. I don't know about you. I, I do a lot of phone calls where I have to call in these places. And a pound sign means complete, right? So it's like put in your phone number. You know, I, I can almost verbatim. Uh, put in your phone number and then hit the pound sign after the phone number, right? Or put in your Social Security number, hit the pound sign. And what that means is you're completing something. 
So I liked when I thought about this here, pound sign, a thinking faith, a completed thinking faith. We're thinking through the faith that has been completed that we have. That's what we do. 1 Thessalonians 5.21, examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from that which is evil, wicked. The Greek word is panaros. Raven, maybe look it up. Um, Panaros means a wicked, bad thing, but it's very vague. It doesn't mean evil one, as can be said about panaros. When you see that Greek word, it could say evil one, evil thing, bad thing, carnal thing. It can mean almost anything. So the Greek word used in the New Testament is panaros for evil. So it says stay away from anything that would, I think it would be right to say, that would lead you against the life that Jesus came to give you. Eternally fulfilling and satisfying life. Anything that gets in that way is what we need to move away from. And that's what we do. We think through those details, right? We examine everything carefully, holding fast to that which is good, that which leads us. I'm going to bring up another verse, Philippians 4.8. It says, think on these things, that which is noble, that which is lovely, that which is peaceable. So when we walk worthy of 1 Thessalonians 5.21 and we prove all things, we examine everything carefully, we take those things that foster our thinking about noble, pure things, and we, we say, okay, I'm going to do those. I'm going to keep those things. But anything that seems to lead me away from thinking about things that are noble, peaceable, loving, edifying, I'm going to move away from. Right? Amen? Okay. So those are the important things. The reason I bring all of that up is those three things seem to be the most important things as Christians that we need to focus on. Telling people to get a life through Jesus Christ. Don't tell them to get a life, you know. Um, Maybe word it a little bit different. Um, But uh, telling them that that's how they can get a life is through Jesus Christ telling them that this comes by making known the manifold wisdom of God or understanding the manifold wisdom of God and then growing in that, proving all things, examining everything. It's never done. The work's never done. Is the world flat? That that lady's examining clearly, right? The lady I mentioned at the beginning. So uh, again, we should always be doing that. Prayerfully, somebody gets some good articles in her um, inbox and then she moves away from examining it. the world's flat. But either way, um, it becomes so easy to get bogged down in all these details a lot of times. Right? That I think we lose focus of the main things. What we're really doing. What we're really gathered for. So, I want to take us into a text this morning. Genesis chapter 32. However, I'm hoping and praying that we will keep in mind the things I've already said so far. We have gathered here because Jesus is the life. We believe that we make known the manifold wisdom of God by exhortation through the scriptures. Which Jesus Christ himself affirmed, Old Testament and New Testament. We grow in that life that he has given us by doing exactly that, examining everything. And then we seek to make this known because we believe that's the way that healing comes into this world. And sure enough, as the providence of God often goes, our text today in Genesis chapter 32 will sort of follow that framework. It will highlight again the important things, the things that we need to be focused on for a spring cleaning rather than a lot of the junk that we get caught up in. For the past couple of weeks, we have been really looking at Jacob this patriarch of Israel. Israel, funny thing there. Patriarch of Israel. Israel being a patriarch of Israel. We've been focusing in on this story and we've been seeing how details of our lives, that we can better understand living life in this world for the glory of God by looking at the life of Jacob. And I, actually, I believe that that's how the Israel would have looked at Genesis. They would have looked at these different examples and these different stories of their beginnings and said, this tells us how to live. This is our example. And uh, with Jacob, we've already highlighted in the past two weeks, we've talked about how we can note living in the sovereignty of God, 
Jacob seemed to be somebody that definitely understood the sovereignty of God, despite the people around him not believing in the sovereignty of God. And he, he lived in it. He placed emphasis on it, and he lived in that reality. And then last week we talked about um, unusual circumstances, right? Jacob found himself in some rather unusual circumstances, some trying situations. And uh, he probably didn't know, as many times we do, we don't know what way to go. What, what do I do if I'm confused and I don't know what to do in this situation? And we marked out last week that Jacob had uh, made a covenant and he decided not to do any harm, right? Him and uh, Laban made a covenant with one another. And then they also decided that they wouldn't do each other harm. Even though they didn't fully understand, Laban still believed Jacob stole that idol. Remember, he never recovered the idol. So he still felt that Jacob had stolen the idol. And Jacob felt that he was being unjustly persecuted by Laban. I didn't steal anything from you. So they both find themselves in this rather tricky situation. And the way I had clarified last week, the, the example we can get from that is to make a covenant, let God be the witness, right, mitzvah, and uh, to... Um, Sorry, and to determine not to do harm to one another. They had set up a marker and they said, we're not going to do harm. So let's take a look at the text today. And now just a quick review. Um, we know that now Jacob has his 12 children, right, with his two wives. And he's gone to Laban and they've had to make this whole agreement that, you know, I'm going my own way. And they've set up this whole agreement and uh, Jacob leaves. G- Genesis chapter 32 verse 1 says, Jacob also went on his way, and the angels of God met with him. When Jacob saw them, he said, This is the camp of God. So he named that place Mananim. And we continue, now where we're at today, starting at verse 3. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed them, This is what you are to say to my lord Esau. Your servant Jacob said, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle, donkeys, sheep, and goats, male and female servants. Now I am sending this message to my Lord that I may find favor in your sight. So this morning's sermon I entitled, Struggling for Favor. Because I believe that everybody in this room, that we all know that, yes, we want to find favor with God. But we ultimately know that finding favor with God also means finding favor with people, with our world. I don't know anybody that would say, I don't want to find favor with other people. And finding favor is actually important as Christians because we're supposed to be a light to the world. So we have to have their favor. There's plenty of scriptures in the New Testament that point out that as Christians, we need to be living in a way that the world is watching us, which requires finding favor with them so that they would look at us and they would say, these people care about me. These people have the truth of God. These people are living lives that are a blessing, whatever it might be. We want to find favor with our neighbors. And I believe that most of the issues in our world comes from a lack of finding favor with other people, all the friction, all the, you know, the dissension, um, division that we see in our world. So this morning, I want to focus in on how do we find favor, struggling to find favor. And I'm going to categorize this as your Christian walk is a struggle to find favor, whether it's favor from God or favor with your neighbor. Both of those are a part of our Christian journey, struggling to find favor. So Jacob does that. He sends these messengers. And you have to appreciate this. He's about to leave. He's about to go back to the land of Canaan. And He knows that he's going to have to pass through Edom. He knows that this is ahead of him. And he probably is anticipating. He's a little worried. He's anticipating. So he goes and he doesn't say, well, I'm going to send my troops to go and demolish Esau. There's something to consider about this. He doesn't do that. He could have. He could have said, you know what, I'm going to gather up an army and we're just going to go and fight against Esau. However, what he does is he says, I'm going to find favor with my brother. Perfectly, we're all in agreement there that rather than going and waging war with the world and like beating them up and saying, you know, you wicked sinners, 
We say, no, we're going to go out there and we're going to find favor. We're going to do the right thing, the gracious thing, which Jacob does. He goes and he sends messengers ahead of him and says, Esau, I'm not coming for battle. I want to find favor. So the first thing we need to note in our lives is that's what we're doing. We're going out there to find favor. Now, let's face it. When you go and you try to find favor with the world, like let's, let's look at it from our perspective here. We go out there and we have a lot of work to do. It's scary out there. It's, you know, sometimes I know many Christians that say, I don't evangelize because then, the minute I even bring up Jesus, the world, you know, people I know get, ah, you know, get crazy. So is it safe to say that when we try to find favor with the world that it comes with a little bit of distress and fear? Right? And sure enough, if you look here, verses 6 and 7, Genesis 32, 6 and 7, Jacob sends these messengers. However, he ends up having fear and distress. He's worried. He knows that Esau is going to come with 400 men. He has 400 men with him. So, you know, this brings a little bit of fear and distress to Jacob. However, what Jacob does and how he answers this is what I believe is an answer for us. When we have that same anxiety or fear or distress in going out in the world, he does two things that are very important. Anybody want to venture to know what the first thing is? What's the first thing you should do before you go out into the world? Pray, that's right. So what does Jacob do? Look at verse 9. Genesis 32, verse 9. It says, Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, Go back to your country and to your relatives, I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness that you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. You see, Jacob... Three things I had highlighted in my notes. And if you want to write this on the back of your bulletin, I gave you a little column there for notes on the sermon. I also gave you the vision verses that I mentioned at the beginning. If you want to note this here, he he does three things. Jacob's prayer is humble. He humbly approaches God. He gratefully approaches God. You see, he says, God, I had nothing. I don't deserve none of this. I had nothing, and yet you bless me. And then the third thing is he's faithful. If you remember, since we've been reading about Jacob, he seems to get this right. He goes to prayer for God with everything. Anytime he finds himself alone, he's building an altar. Anytime he needs to go to God for something or he needs to embark on a mission, he prays. He says, let me recognize where God's at. Sure enough, if you even look at the beginning passage of chapter 32, he leaves Laban. The first thing he begins to talk about and recognizes, this is the camp of God. You see, he always, he's, a, he's aware of his surroundings. He's aware of God's presence. He's faithful to God's presence. And again, those three things I'm highlighting here is that he's humble, he's grateful, and he's faithful. And we need to be doing that. If we're going to embark on any mission in this world, if we have fear and distress about anything that we're seeking favor with, we need to be humble, we need to be grateful, and we need to be faithful. And and also another interesting thing about this that I like is note the two things about his prayer life. He makes requests. I've heard people say, I've heard Christians actually say that you shouldn't make requests of God. There's quite a few Bible verses that say the opposite of that. Perfectly, you all know them. Um, however, here, if you notice, following Jacob's example, he says, God, save me. Help, please. And then he did something that I like in verse 12. Verse 12, he says, but you have said, and many of you know this in my own personal prayer life, I've said this many times, that I hold God to his word. And that's what Jacob does. He holds God to his word. He says, but you have said, I will surely make you prosper and your descendants will be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. He holds God to his promises. And I believe that that's very important for us. And many of you may know my personal prayer life. I highlight James 1. God says that if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives liberally. And liberally means abundantly. Like he'll pour it out to, you know, to excess. Well, then for me, you would imagine I'm always going to God. And I'm saying, hey, God, you said 
that if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of you and you will pour it out on him. Well, here I am. Please give it to me. And I believe that we all need to be walking worthy of that, reminding God, not only asking him for something, but reminding him of the promise that, and it's not reminding, let me be careful there. Um, we're reminding him in a sense to edify ourselves because God does not forget. Let me, before I get myself in trouble with saying that too much. Um, you know, again, recognizing the sovereignty of God, that he knows all things, but he's glorified when we come to him and we lift up these petitions and we ask for him to move in our life according to the promises that he has given us. The next thing to notice, yes, Jacob prays. And then he walks consistently. He actually develops a strategy. He figures, okay, well, I've prayed about this. I've covered the part where I went to God and I've noted Esau coming with his 400 men. But then he goes and he says, now I have to use a little bit of wisdom. You ever meet those people that just they, they pray about everything? They don't use any wisdom. They don't walk consistently with their prayer life, but they just pray about everything. They lift everything up in prayer. That's not the way we're called to be. That's not Christian. The Christian thing to do is to walk consistently with our prayers. If you're walking in an opposite way of the things that you're praying for, don't be surprised when you don't get answered prayer. And don't blame God. Because a part of walking with the prayer is to walk consistently with the prayer. So Jacob sets up a strategy. He figures, I'm going to share here from John Walton. He sets up a strategy where he's going to uh, send these gifts. And most people would miss this here, that his strategy. He sends a bunch of gifts to Esau. Now, first of all, let's note he's being nice. Right? He's being kind. He's seeking favor. He's sending gifts. However, there's some other details. For example, he sends five distinct group of, groups of animals, and they would have arrived in a succession that would have wore down the military readiness of Esau's band. If they were planning an ambush, they would have set it up each time a group arrived. When they discovered that Jacob was not in the group, they would have all gathered again, proceeded on their way. After five times of Jacob sending these, you know, these bands up to him, it's unlikely that they would have been as alert for combat as they might have been at first. You figure the first group of gifts comes and all these messengers are coming from Jacob. They're ready for battle. Jacob's not there. Second time, ready for battle. Jacob's not there. By the fifth time they come, it's kind of like, you know what? He's probably not here. So Jacob is wise of this. He knows that by the time they actually get to him, they've probably given up on the ambush altogether. So that's the first technique he does. He, he thinks wise here. Let me keep sending different gifts to Jacob. The second thing he does is, or the second point would be, as the gifts arrive, Esau would have become more and more encumbered in his travel. I mean, you're sending sheep and all this stuff has to travel somehow, and he didn't get to load it in the back of the big truck. You know, they're, they're wandering over to this place here. So Esau would have become more and more encumbered in his travel. The animals would have likely forced him to move more slowly and would have made his band much noisier. It's kind of hard to take somebody by surprise when you know, you're coming with a bunch of goats, sheep, and men. And Then also consider this. He's sending people. Jacob is sending people to Esau. So these people are now intermingling in his group. Perfect way not to have a successful war is to have your troops or your people intermingle with the enemy's people. And sure enough, Esau's group would have, by the time they would have arrived to Jacob, they would have been so full of all of Jacob's messengers and people that it would have been quite difficult to have a successful battle. So you see, Jacob develops a strategy. He's afraid. He prays, covers his bases with prayer. But then he uses wisdom, and he says, how can I go about this whole situation? And he sends these gifts. And you see, he does it in such a subtle way that when we read that, we just think, wow, Jacob's a nice guy. He's, that's, that's a good decision to send gifts and to be wise. 
So prayerfully, you see that there's a point here. There's a, my point is that we need to be strategic, not only praying, praying saints, but we also like, for example, we say we want to reach the world. And, you know, Brother Jack had mentioned this morning about increasing our, uh, our territory, so to speak, to borrow from the prayer of Jabez, right? Jabez had prayed that God would enlarge his territory. And I believe that's a good prayer for our church, that we want to see God enlarge our territory in the world. But then there's some things we have to do consistent. We have to develop a strategy. We can't just pray about it. We also have to develop a strategy. I know we know that. But my point is, is to highlight this point here that when we pray about something, we'll consistently develop a strategy to make that effective. You know, I, yesterday I prayed all day at a war on addiction rally. And I just sat there thinking and asking myself, all right, so we prayed about it. We celebrated the, humbly. We've, celebra- we've appreciated what God has done with recovery. We've, you know, you know, we've noted his presence in all of it. But are we walking consistent was my bigger question. Are we developing a consistent strategy that is actually going to help? And I believe that in order to see our prayers answered, to gain favor, again, the message today is struggling with favor, to gain favor, we must walk consistent. And then that leads me into the rest of our text. So Jacob meets Esau, again in the chapter 33. He meets Esau. Well, actually, I'm sorry. There's something that happens before he meets Esau. I was about to skip over one of the Christian favorites. Yeah, he wrestles with this angel. And now I'm not getting into all this this morning. Hopefully you already know. It's we're up against the time. So I'm not getting into who the angel was and all the strange details of that angel. Joe Daniel, he wrestled. Amen. So, uh, so um, just thinking of him listening. Uh, so... Uh, Jacob goes and he wrestles with this angel. Now, again, hopefully you know the point of the story here, if you're following the context, is he's worried about Esau. He's worried about this whole situation with Esau. I've been known as a deceiver my whole life, and it's never worked in my favor. Right? That's picture Jacob's situation here. It's never worked in my favor. So now, he sends all his gifts to Esau, but he finds himself worried. It says, that night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his female servants, his 11 sons, and crossed the ford to the Jabbok. Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. You see, he's still walking with wisdom because now he's separating all of his goods. That way, you know, if he comes from that side and he gets my goods over here, at least there's something left over there, right? At least I have something left of my property. And he's using a lot of wisdom here. And then he was left alone. And in my notes, I even wrote, remember the last time he was left alone? Genesis 28. That's where we talked about the... uh, the, the Jacob's ladder, that vision he had where it showed that God was moving, God was doing something in his situation. Again, it shows the faithfulness of Jacob. Jacob seems to always be in these positions. When he's alone, he's praying. When he's alone, he's noting the presence of God amongst him. And here, we see that. He says, as Jacob was left alone, verse 24, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. And there's so much teachings that has gone, has gone into this, so much confusion. I just want to focus on the main point here. Jacob wrestles with this man. Right? And he wants a blessing. That was a very, your name meant everything. So his whole life, he's bound to this identity as a deceiver. Now he has his chance. I need a change because if I'm going to enter into this whole thing with Esau and I'm still the deceiver and I still have the identity of my past, I can only expect the same thing's going to happen again. So he decides, no, I'm going to wrestle. I'm going to struggle for the sake of my blessing. And he wrestles. And then this man blesses him. And you see there's so much there that could be dealt with. Um, I'll maybe let Pastor Steve preach a sermon on that soon. And uh, so, um, you know, he changes his name. He says, your name will no longer be Jacob, will no longer be deceiver. You will be Israel because you have struggled with God 
and have overcome. Not that he has struggled against God and overcome God. Somebody pointed that out this week. That's not what's being said here. It's that he struggled with that, you know, the truth of God and he overcame. Just like we overcome when we struggle with, you know, temptations or trials that are going on in our lives. We overcome them. We, you know, he overcame this identity that he had in God before. And now he's moving into this new blessed state of being a man that now he wrestles with God. He was... He was willing to fight for a blessing so much. And, and that's what I hope we would become. We would be noted as a people that are seeking not only our blessings in our own lives, but blessings in the world that we'd be willing to fight for them, that we'd be willing to struggle just like Jacob did. He struggled for a new identity. He, and he walked consistent in approaching that new identity. And I believe that that's very important for each and every one of us. So then he meets Esau and it goes well. Actually, it goes, I mean, you read Genesis chapter 34 it's beautiful. You want to talk about reconciliation. He meets with him and, and Jacob's giving him all this stuff. He's saying, here, take more stuff. Take more gifts. And Esau's, I have enough. And then ultimately, you know, that I, when I was reading through, I'm just going to add a personal thing here, uh, I, Genesis 33, it reminded me of being online at Starbucks and offering to buy a drink for Raven. And she doesn't want me to buy a drink for her. Again, you read the details there. It gets kind of confusing because Jacob offers to Esau. You know, he says, here, take all this stuff. Esau says, no, 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 I have plenty. You ever have that person, you're trying to buy them a drink, you're like, they're like no, 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 don't worry, I'll pay for it, I'll pay for it. And I remember, I'm a ca- I used to be a cashier, so I remember those situations watching people like, okay, who's going to pay for it? And, uh, you know, so I thought maybe there's some wisdom in this text that I had to fix that. One thing I will note is that uh, Esau finally says, okay, I'll take the goods that you have given me. Kind of like that person that should say that at the counter at Starbucks where they should say, okay, you know what, I'll let you pay for it. I'll let you just relax. Just let them pay for it. It was, again, when you read through the text, you'll see my point there. It reminded me of that. So uh, you go through this whole thing, and you, you read, basically, the situation goes beautifully. Uh, verse 15 in chapter 33, Esau said, Then leave me some of, let me leave some of my men with you, which was interesting, because Jacob is so kind to Esau. Now, remember, Esau wasn't exactly, uh, they didn't leave off, you know, these, fun-loving brothers that you know are encouraging each other and giving each other stuff. They left off hating each other. Matter of fact, Jacob was told to leave the land because his brother might kill him. But then here, he gives his brother all this stuff, and then Esau's response is, let me leave some men with you. If you're going to be here all alone, let me care for you. I mean, talk about a beautiful picture of reconciliation that happened between these two people. And you might be able to say, if I desire that reconciliation in my life, the things I would note is Jacob prayed, Jacob was kind, Jacob was consistent, developed, used wisdom, and he was able to gain such a favor. He gained favor with his brother. And then, of course, the story ends. And it ends with the same thing it began with. Jacob noticing the presence of God. Because another thing we obviously want to take note of is when God does provide the favor and the blessings, make sure you take that moment to recognize that. I have a lot of friends that they've gone through so many ups and downs, and they've had moments where they were praising God, you know, with their hands raised. God is good. And then all of a sudden I talk to them now and they say, God's never done anything good for me. Wow. So make sure we take those moments to say, let me recognize where God, you know, me, I'm in the habit of journaling. So, you know, if I ever tell you uh, God never done anything for me, say, Mike, go upstairs, get out your stack of books that you have and do some reading because God's done quite a bit. And again, it's impossible for me to say that. But that's my message for us this morning is that in order to gain favor in this world, and I believe that comes right from our text, that in order to gain favor and to follow after the way of Jacob, again, we are the new Israel, the people of God, and we want to gain favor out there. I know I do. 
And in order to do that, I believe the best way to move forward is to walk consistent with the example that is before us. And Jacob is a great example of finding favor, seeking favor with other people. If I may just close with uh, sharing a couple verses about favor from the book of Psalms that seem to highlight the favor of God very much. Psalm chapter 5, verse 12 says, For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. Psalm chapter 90, verse 17. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Psalm chapter 84, verse 11. Psalm 30, verse 5. But his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. And then Psalm chapter 89, verse 17. By your favor, you make us strong. As I prayed through this message and I thought about it, I said, as I mentioned earlier in our Sunday school, hope. That's my hope. To find favor, not only with God, but with man. And I pray that I've challenged your hope this morning. That you would hope to find favor with other men. Because I mentioned my hat, my new hat, Hope Dealer. It says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, that we are called to have an answer for every person that asks of us the reasons for our hope. So I got to thinking about that and really looking at this passage and I said, well, part of my hope is finding favor with God and men. And I believe that we walk worthy of that when we we look into the knowledge of God and we look into these things and we do a sort of spring cleaning and we remember the important things. Where'd it go? On the back of your bulletin, I just want to, before I pray, I just want to bring these personal questions before you. We talked a lot about examining ourselves this morning. At the beginning of our service, Brother Edward had shared an interesting quote that I wrote down. My needs to be sustained and supported by the word of God. May we all examine ourselves and say that. Are my needs and my desires, are they sustained and supported by the word of God? What sort of spiritual spring cleaning might you need to do? It's not supposed to say mighty. It's supposed to say might. Um, what sort of spiritual cleaning might you need to do in your life? Are you familiar with Second Peter chapter 1 growth chart? If you're not, there's one in the foyer for you um, where you can actually look at those eight things outlined and say, how am I going to grow in these things? And how would you explain the hope that you have? Challenge yourself with that this week. How would I explain hope to another person? Again, walking worthy of 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Let's pray. Mighty God, Lord, we thank you for the examples that you have given us through your scriptures. We thank you for a new season. We thank you that we have this opportunity to examine ourselves. Lord, may we walk worthy of that each and every moment that we can. To ask ourselves, are we in the faith? Are we, doing the th- are we growing in the things that are good? Focusing on the things that are good and noble and pure. And moving away from. Not being antagonized by the things that are evil and wicked. Lord, your word gives us a great example of how to navigate this world. Though we may find ourselves in perplexing situations. Though we may question your sovereignty, Lord. Though we may find ourselves struggling for favor, we know that the answers are before us, Lord. Your spirit and your word illuminate truth. May we endeavor to grow in those things. May we set our eyes on you, the author and finisher of our faith, knowing that you supply all the answers we need. And then we would turn back and praise you as we see those answers being given to us abundantly, Lord. We praise you and magnify you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. And we're going to do that in a 351 moment by moment. Thank you.